Welcome to my podcast, Musings of a Christian Philosopher, where we talk about deep and often challenging topics of theology and philosophy. I'm your host, Adam Polstra. Let's get started. So today I want to talk to you all about patience. What is patience? It's a topic I think about a lot because it has a great deal of history with me in particular. I've always been a pretty unstressful person. It's not easy to get me roused up, to get me angry or raging, certainly not. And in my early years, I was regarded as being very patient. A lot of people said it to me, and that's not to say that I haven't had my weaknesses and my bad spells. But because of that, because it's something that has been very personal to me a lot, Throughout life, I have thought a good deal about what patience is, but I feel like I'm still just really getting to the bottom of it, if I ever even do. So how do we really consider what patience is? Well, first of all, I think it's an important exercise to look at what, it, what patience is not. What is it to be impatient? You have a father, or maybe just a guy, who's driving down the road on the interstate, and traffic appears, and he begins yelling and raging, making everyone else in the car uncomfortable. Well, that's somebody who's very impatient, or at least acting impatient in the moment, right? Or if you have a parent, say a mom, with children who are crying or yelling or complaining about something, and she starts to lose the handle and yell back at her children, would be considered pretty darn impatient. And of course, there are far more innocent versions of this. You could have a child who is standing in line waiting to get a piece of candy, waiting for mom to buy the piece of candy, and the child begins to fidget and complain and ask over, over and over again for the candy. That child is being very impatient. It's not necessarily a character flaw in every case. It might be a result of some sort of lack of character. It might just be that it's a skill that has not yet been learned. But certainly one thing that we can associate with impatience is a lack of self-control. Now another very associated word with patience is long-suffering. We consider long-suffering, I think, in general, to be the ability to take not just pain, but frustration, disappointment, and other similar things with patience. In, or, in other words, to endure it. To take it without changing a great deal as a person. For example, you could have somebody who has a chronic condition, some sort of pain, perhaps, that is somewhere located in their body. If they take it with long-suffering, through the course of time, that individual may have a chiseled will of iron. They've learned how to take chronic conditions without losing themselves without losing their cool, without losing control. 
That doesn't mean they never did throughout the course of enduring that pain, and maybe it stops, maybe it never does. Whatever the case, they came to a point of mastery, you could say. They have gained what we would call long-suffering. And another hint, I think, as to what patience really is, comes from the Bible. Paul points out that love is first patient. You know the verse, love is patient, love is kind, and long-suffering is in there too. So why would patience not just be associated with love, but be the first thing that one of the greatest apostles and theologians that we know of, who's written most of the New Testament, that's the first thing that he says it is. He says love is patient. See, those who are patient are the opposite of, obviously, the impatient we just talked about earlier. The patient, not, of course, somebody on a bed with a doctor, but the patient person is someone who is in the traffic and continues to speak pleasantly with his wife and children, who accepts the situation and endures it, who maybe even turns around and comforts the others in the car. Hopefully not in some naive way of saying, oh, this won't last very long unless he has information with which to say so, but at the very least, makes light of the issue. He turns something that could be fairly stressful into some, and does what he can to make it calm. That would be somebody considered very patient. Or again with the parent, the mom, who is dealing with children who are crying and whining. And proceeds to comfort the children. To rationally and calmly deal with the situation, whatever it may be, maybe some dispute between the children. He took my toy. And she doesn't lose her cool. She continues to simply speak with the children. And maybe issue some sort of consequence or new agreement, whatever the conditions may require. But whatever the case, she maintains herself. Now, going back to love is patient. I want to talk about love for just a moment. Try to make the connection between love and patience. I define love as knowing and acting towards the good to the best of your ability. Now, a lot of thought has gone into that definition, and I'll go through some of it briefly. Notice that I don't have an individual in the definition. I've recently removed that, actually. And the reason for that is because I don't believe that an other is necessary for love. This is going to prickle the ears of a few theologians or theological thinkers out there because we believe, especially as Protestant Christians, and I believe Catholics as well, if not Eastern Orthodox as well, that part of the reason why John in his gospel said that God is love is proven by the fact that God is triune, that God is three persons in one, and you cannot have, quote, love without a relationship. Personally, I'm beginning to think that this is a fairly poor argument. See, we know very well, for example, that we can hate ourselves. Well, if we can hate ourselves, then surely we can love ourselves, though we don't talk about it, I think, quite as often. 
which is probably just a sign of the lack of health in our communities rather than a sign that we have a more difficult time talking about love. Again, we do have a difficult time talking about love for a lot of people, but again, that I think is due to a lack of health in our communities rather than otherwise. We know that we can hate ourselves, surely we can love ourselves, and some people do talk about loving yourself. Even implied in Jesus' words, love your neighbor as yourself, is the idea of loving yourself as your neighbor. Two need to be parallel in order for that verse to even make any sense. So, love I define as knowing and acting towards the good to the best of your ability. And briefly before I go further, the triune nature of God, what do I think it proves? I think it shows not that God is love, but that reality is as we would expect it to be if God is a God of interrelationship with himself. What do I mean? The world that we exist in is a world of manys and ones. In other words, there is unity and diversity all throughout it. For example, we have civilizations. Civilization is a word by which we mean many people. However, those many people form one civilization. We also have families. Families are units of many people, at least three usually. We do can sometimes consider a couple one family, but typically we expect that that couple is going to have a child or two or maybe more, and that is what we call a family. That family is a single unit. At least mentally we think of it that way. But the family is made up of many individuals. You could continue to carry this analogy so many different directions. Not, and not even just with people. How about trees? Trees form a forest. A forest we consider a single unit. We even call it by a singular name. Acacia, Acacia Park. Which I know is not a forest, of course, but just to kind of summon the idea. But the forest itself is made up of many individual trees. Not, many pe not as many people know this, but trees themselves have sex. There are female trees and there are male trees, and they fertilize one another, usually or oftentimes through the roots, and that's how new saplings are formed. There is the many and the one, and given that example and mammalian sex and so on, we see that the minis, or at least the twos, come together to form new entities. There is forming together, there is coming together in so much of nature that often blurs the lines between many and oneness. In the scripture itself, we talk about marriage being the two becoming one. Anyways, I know this is aside from the topic, but I just wanted to make sure, since I did kind of poke a hole into this idea of the triune nature of God forming love, well, no, I don't think so, but I do think that it shows why our reality, or 
gives, gives us a source for why our reality is the way that it is. Our reality is a reality of relationship. Our reality is a reality of minis being ones. Sorry, minis being ones. And this is something that we do very naturally, very automatically. For that to be an aspect of our reality, should we not expect that the source of our reality is a many that is also a one? You could even take this analogy to an individual person, soul, body, and for many people, especially Christians, spirit. It is a many forming a one. If our God, if the source of our reality is a mono-God, a singular entity without any further complexity, then why would we expect that our reality would do anything but reflect that same truth? See, you can't have relationship with a single unit. We could talk about having a relationship with yourself to some extent and I think that that is possible, but I think that it's only possible because there is a reality to the fact that even individuals are not merely a single thing. There are parts to us, even if you just want to go with body and soul. There's a certain type of relationship that can be had there. But if the foundation of our reality was only a singular entity then not only would relationship be eliminated, but so also, of course, would love, so also would even the idea of selfishness. If God was only a singular entity, everything that he did, everything that he formed, would be for his pleasure, for his impulses, for his wants. And if we were looking at that, if we're looking at that kind of a reality from our perspective, we would call that very selfish. But you have to consider, if that was the only reality that was, there would be no way, no reason to call that selfish. Because the singular entity is the only real thing there is. On the other hand, if the entity that is the source of our, all of our reality is a mini and a one, then something other than that singular self is possible. Something other than that singular self already exists in itself, a triune God. And therefore, all of the realities of relationship and selflessness, and I think patience, and so on, become at least a possibility. But that's, of course, a digression into metaphysics and theology. So returning to patience and love. Love, knowing and acting towards the good to the best of your ability, obviously requires a number of other factors, such as wisdom, which I think is the knowledge of what the good is. Love is the acting out of that wisdom. I've only recently come to that idea as well, and I think it's a pretty interesting one. But what does it take, what does it really take, as I just brought up, to carry out love? Now, I do accept other definitions of love. One of my other favorites comes from one of my teachers, which is your involuntary response to virtue if you are virtuous. 
I think that that is a response definition of love, whereas the one I've already been talking about is the act form of love. Anyways, I keep digressing. In order to carry out love, in the world as we have it, within the bounds of relationships, etc., circumstances, things that may not be the way that we want them to be, things that may frustrate our designs, even genuinely and well thought out, well acted out, even our designs towards the good may be frustrated because of the reality of our reality, the fact that there are other wills besides our own, the fact that there are circumstances that we can't control. In order for us to carry out love, to carry out the acts towards the good, towards our environment or another person, those circumstances are very specific and very complex, and they're not always going to align. So what does it take when those frustrations or unexpected circumstances come about in order to maintain love? Well, that would be patience, would it not? See, the fact is, I believe that God himself displays a great deal of patience. Perfect patience, of course. I don't disagree with John saying that John's writing in the gospel that God is love. And if that is correct, and if Paul is also correct in saying that love is first patient, then God is the epitome of, God exerts the epitome of patience. And isn't this exactly what we see in the idea that God allows humans to enact free will? In other words, God has set up for himself in the creation of humankind a circumstance in which his love, his act towards our ultimate good, which is, by the way, the basis of why I have this definition, I think that's what God does, that love may be frustrated. So in other words, God must enact love, or sorry, patience. God must practice patience in order to love beings of a free will that may contradict him, may go against him, may even outright refuse his love. I think that this is something that we can learn to do. Now, we can learn to have patience in a sense separated from love. But when love is charged up, shall we say, or enabled by patience, I think it becomes far, far stronger. Why? Because when we can be patient with an individual, for example, that we wish to love, we wish to act towards the good of in the form of, in the frame of relationship, then when that individual is refusing our love, refusing our actions, refusing our efforts, as long as they have not abused us, which is in a different category, and I'll address that in a moment, then we can continue to be patient with our love, we can continue to endure to have long-suffering until such time that they are willing to accept our love. In other words, it makes love a more shoo-in act. We are much more likely to be able to carry out love if we are also patient 
Or how about with a set of circumstances? You are trying to love the world through your choice of building a particular sort of business, probably a nonprofit. But it doesn't have to be, by the way. You are looking towards the good of your community by, say, supplying food. Happens to be my job. To the masses, supplying food to the masses. But the circumstances of your community may not be very congenial towards that when you start out. Maybe there's a lot of other competing businesses that are also selling food, but you've seen that it's pretty unhealthy by comparison, so you try to start providing food that is very healthy by comparison. Again, this is from personal experience. Well, if you have patience and you're able and clever with business and money handling, then through the course of time and with patience, the love that you started out with in supplying the community with good and healthy food will finally, in the course of time, ideally, be carried out. But patience, of course, can also help us to endure utter failures of love, by which I don't mean that we have acted inappropriately necessarily and failed to do love in the first place. What I mean is, if the recipient, be it ourselves even or another, is never carried out, then patience may be able to buoy us up, will, in fact, be able to buoy us up in the transition from the first thing to the next thing, or from that thing to whatever comes next, rather. Now, I want to point something out. When it comes to acting out patience in the frame of relationship, I am not talking about making yourself into a doormat. That's a very different thing. See, that kind of an activity often comes out of a false idea of selflessness. We very often construe selflessness with uh, pathological altruism. We think that being long-suffering and continuing to try to be nice and kind to people, regardless of how they behave towards us, is one of the proper ways of acting out love. I don't think so. I think that patience is, in many ways, the opposite of selfishness, but it is not pathological altruism, and it's not exactly parallel to selflessness. See, selfishness and selflessness are not opposites. They are very different states, and they can both be very unhealthy or they can be healthy. To be selfish in a circumstance wherein your survival may also lead to you being able to care for those who depend on you in the future. In other words, you have a survival situation, perhaps. And for you to continue going forward may take an act of great selfishness. But that survival then means that you can continue to parent your children. You can continue to be a friend to your friends. That may be a very good act in a certain situation. Another example for God to be selfish, in a sense, is to the good of reality as a whole. He has to look out for himself, you could say for number one if you insist, is to the good of reality as a whole because he is the one holding up reality itself. 
Now, it's easy for us to consider how selfishness can be bad, be rancid. But that doesn't mean that selfishness is evil. God has to be selfish. A parent sometimes has to be selfish. A friend sometimes has to be selfish. For the sake of good, what I'm pointing out is that in order to be loving, sometimes you have to be selfish. Selflessness can be extremely unhealthy. I already mentioned pathological altruism. For us to be selfless in a situation where we allow ourselves to be abused can cause cognitive damage. It can cause trauma responses down the road. It can cause an unnecessary loss of resources. Selflessness applied in the wrong place can be straight-up evil, typically meaning that we allow evil to be done to us. And as a result of that, we can cripple our ability to love. We may be less able to act towards the good of a, of a business, a person, friend, family, because in the past we were too, or sorry, not too selfless, we were selfless when we should not have been. So what do I mean when I say that selfishness and patience are closer to op opposites? Did I say that correctly? Selfishness and patience are opposites. What I mean by that is that when you are in a situation that is not going the way that you want it to, and you choose to be patient, you are certainly not being selfish. To be selfish is to be extremely self-aware. In other words, to care to a great degree, and not even necessarily an unhealthy degree, upon the situation you are enduring. Patience, I think, requires that you sufficiently take yourself outside of the circumstances of the moment or relationship or what have you, maybe the situation of your chronic pain, and seeing yourself more from an outside perspective and choosing within that circumstance what you will do. It is to grasp yourself as if from outside and choose your own actions, your own responses, and even to some extent your own emotions, regardless of the circumstances. Therefore, I call it, not, I don't, I'm not sure yet if I would call it the opposite of selfishness, but I think it's pretty darn close. You have to take yourself out of yourself to practice patience. Here's an example. A friend is doing something, especially after you have tried to do something kind and good towards them, that is in rejection of your actions. Let's say, for example, that you're trying to bring up, a, bring up a conversation about something that is difficult, but needed. Maybe a problem in another relationship of theirs between them and their children or them and their spouse. And their reply to that 
is to just downright refuse, maybe even respond angrily to your offer to have a conversation about it. In that moment, if you were selfish, in other words, if you were primarily concerned with the situation you are enduring, you would more than likely, of course, respond angrily to their refusal for the conversation. But you're, but if you're getting yourself into this analogy, you're beginning to see the connection between love and patience. In order to continue to be loving towards that person, you must take yourself out of your own considerations of your own feelings and your own perspective of the circumstances that are going on and instead see the other person and the obvious fact that they are uncomfortable in the situation that given normal circumstances, they're not going to really want to talk about this, might bring up some of their own guilt. It's definitely going to definitely going to bring up their discomforts. They don't want to talk about this. So if you have taken the time, in other words, patience, allowing time to pass, allowing yourself to calmly consider the situation and see that, of course, they don't really want to talk about it, then you can continue to be loving because you have chosen to be patient. You've chosen to understand them and endure the situation instead of responding with selfishness. Or in traffic. You take yourself sufficiently out of selfishness, not just seeing your own feelings, your own responses and reactions to the set of circumstances, and seeing, for example, that possibly there's an accident up ahead, and emergency services have to come in. It's their job, and it's a good job. It's a job for the good. I think, generally speaking, though certainly that's not always carried out. But this situation, certainly it's unfortunate that it's happening to you, but the, situa but the situation has a very reasonable cause for its being, and you can patiently consider what those circumstances are, and that it does have to happen, and while yes, it is happening to you, it's also happening to everyone else in the traffic. And you can calmly and patiently absorb that information and realize that, well, somebody had to endure it. Somebody, and in fact a lot of people, had to be the ones that drew, shall we say, the lucky, unlucky card. Putting that into perspective, and, other, and in other words, being a little bit more selfless, but certainly being patient, you've taken yourself, your perspective, out of the immediacy of the situation and have been able to be calm. So I would say, taking a shot, and I, by the way, I've not prepared this definition ahead of time, so it's going to be a little rough around the edges, but if I were to define patience, I would say that it is the ability to maintain yourself regardless of the circumstances of the moment or the situation. 